Hi guys, it's your girl Nahama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome back to my podcast. So today's episode is really special. When I was in high school, we had an adopt a grandmother program, and there was this lovely woman from the South who I started visiting. And you know, going into it, I thought I was so full of myself. I thought, look at me doing a kind deed, going to visit an older woman in the community and go me, and I'm going to entertain her, and it's going to be great. Well, I went, and she humbled me really fast because I met one of the most amazing, wonderful human beings of my life, and today we are going to get an interview with her. She just celebrated her 100th birthday, and we weren't able to stay very long. It was only a short 30-minute interview, but it was very special, and I'm so excited to share. So... We'll just cut right to it and introduce her. And so today I'm really excited because we have a very, very special guest, my Safta Kramer. And so I just wanted to start by saying happy belated birthday. I know you just turned 100 and that's just very, very special. Thank you. So thank you for being here. Well, thank, thank you for remembering who I am. I could never forget who you are. You've made such an impact on my life. Um, when I was in high school was when we first started to see each other and become friends. I used to come to your house when you lived on Gannon. Right. And I used to come with Shira Kark. Happy belated birthday to Safta Kramer. A very special memory of Safta Kramer that I have is when Nahama and I would visit with Safta Kramer on Shabbos afternoons. She would always give us snacks and juice. And she would put the snacks and the juice on her walker and wheel it out of the kitchen and into the dining room. And she would never let us help her. Um, and then we would set up with our juice and our snacks. And then we just went on to have a wonderful afternoon together. Back in the day. And you had just celebrated your 100th birthday. It makes me very sad to know that you're recording that many years of my life. <laughs> when it really was not that important to me. No? So what would you say was your favorite birthday? My favorite birthday was... I guess becoming 90. Becoming 90? What was special about becoming 90? I showed my parents that I don't change, even though I'm growing older. Yeah. I'm the same little girl they brought into the world. I love that. And it's very true. I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like, no matter how old any of us ever get, there's still like the little girl or the little boy inside of us that somehow never ages. But most people aren't interested in that. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about some event that made a difference yeah. in their lives. I think what makes life so special are the little moments, the times with our friends, the times with our family. That's what really makes a big difference. I remember your house on Gannon, one of the things that was so beautiful about your house was everything in your house had a story. <laughs> it wasn't just decoration. And that was so fun for me because you had a lot of things in your house. So I had to keep coming back so that I could good. learn every story. Very good. Okay. And I remember you used to make this mandel bread. 
I still do. Yeah, it was your mother's recipe. Right. And it was so amazing. You used to, uh, you gave me a lot of comfort because when I was like in my early 20s and I started dating, you used to tell me, and you have a lovely Southern accent, so I'm going to try to have one a little bit now. You would say, well, Nahama, when I grew up 100 years ago in Knoxville, Tennessee, there were no Jewish boys. Right. And you told me how your mother would say, wait, just wait. And when the time is right, God will open up the sky and he'll fall down and knock on your door. Wonderful. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and you told me that God brought World War II so that you could find your husband. Oh, is that the reason? That's what you said. <laughs> You said every six months, the um, the college football field was used to train air cadets, and the Jewish community would invite the boys over, and you and eight of your girlfriends all married air cadets. Right. And you would always end the story by saying, well, Nechama, hopefully <laughs> God won't have to bring World War Three for you to find your husband. Right. Okay. And I just thought, such a great story. Yeah. And I love that story. I tell that to everybody every chance that I ever get. Well, we haven't made a third world war yet. Yes, it's true. Hopefully it's I'll... not in our land. Yes. Yeah. There's a, a lot of talk about that, but for right now, we're good. So, listen, maybe if I get, maybe the secret is if I get married beforehand, there'll be world peace. So, gives everyone something to pray for. <laughs> but I have to ask, um... I know there was a book that you showed me back in the day about um, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And I thought it was super interesting. You guys moved there in the 1950s, right? When? Then, right after the war ended, when okay. they opened the city up, then you and Daddy moved there. Okay. That's my backup. Yeah. Remember, you used to go in, even when it was still a closed city, you used to go in to take Bubby for doctor's appointments. Right. And Dad, Daddy saw a, a business opportunity there once the city opened up and the war was over. Remember that? No. Okay. But you lived there because it was, it was a great community. Unique. It was unique. The history was really special, too, in that city. You had a book that you showed me at the time, and apparently that city used to be one of the secret cities. Right. During World War II, they were working on nuclear weapons. Right. But nobody knew what they were working on until after the war. And you showed me the book about that, and I just love that because every time I came to visit you, you were always encouraging me to grow. We would learn together. We would read different books together. Well, that's one of the nicest things I remember, Nahama, was your encouragement of all these branches of life that we all have in our world. Yeah. I feel like you encouraged me, too. You inspired me, you know. You used to have a, this beautiful grand piano. That's right. And Shira would come sometimes during lunch break. Our high school was just two minutes away, and we would. She would walk over, and she would play the piano for you. And you remember that she couldn't have gluten, so you used to buy her sweet potato chips. 
I used to what? Buy her sweet potato chips. Oh. It was very sweet. Um, there was this book about your mother. Can we read it together? Mm-hmm. So you remember this book right here? Yeah, she put it together. Yeah. So uh. we'll we'll show it to the camera for a second. So back when I was in school, I went to art school. And I told you about a project that I had where I had to write a children's book and we had to draw all the pictures. And you said, well, <laughs> I have a story for you. Good. And it was the Bubby Who Could. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was wondering, did you want to read it together now? Sure. You read it and I'll listen. Okay. I, uh, I love this story. We were thinking about doing like a whole series because you said your mother had like a, or your, was your mother or your grandmother? Her mother. Her mother had like a very interesting life. So once upon a time, there lived a sweet little lady that could do everything. She could sew, bake, clean, and best of all, she could help. Her name was Bubby. Whenever anyone needed help, guess whom they called? Of course, Bubby was called because everyone knew that she was the Bubby that could. And in the photo, what we did was we took a quilt and we put little images of the different things that she can do because just like our lives there's the small moments that are sewn together like a quilt and it makes this over time it seems small but like it builds and then we have this beautiful story that we can share so it's about my mm. bubby your mom your mom remember yeah bubby lived in a little red brick house at the bottom of a big hill and all the people who lived in the houses near the big hill would watch Bobby go in and out of her house every day from early morning to late in the evening to do all that Bubby could. So. Who so did the art? I did. You did the art. I did. Okay. You read the story to me. Okay. And as you were reading it to me, I saw these pictures in my head. Really? And I was like, I want to draw that for you. And I thought it would be a really special gift. So one cold December morning, Bubby's telephone rang, and she stopped doing all that Bubby could to answer the telephone. The voice on the telephone was Bubby's friend, Mrs. Goodstein, who lived and worked on the other side of the big hill in a grocery store. Mrs. Goodstein had a very sad story to tell, the Bubby that could because she knew that Bubby would help. So I thought that was sweet, yeah, showing Mrs. the different Goodstein, sides. Right? Yeah. yeah, very interesting. In a little old house next to Mrs. Goodstein's grocery store lived a little old lady named Mrs. Gerber. Mrs. Gerber was all alone, and that morning she came over to the Goodstein store all wrapped up in a blanket to keep warm because she had no money for coal to heat her house. Mm. So what had happened was the pipes underneath her house had frozen, and because she had no money to warm them up, she was all cold in her house. When she turned on her water faucet in the kitchen, no water came out, and Mrs. Gerber was very sad because she thought her water pipes had frozen. Mrs. Gerber was very sad and went back to her little rickety old house. Mrs. Goodstein was also very sad, and so she called the Bubby that could because she would know what to do. Bubby hurried out of her house over the big hill to Mrs. Gerber's house and carried two big buckets of water to her. She told Mrs. Gerber not to worry. And then the bubby that could called the city water department to ask them to fix the water pipes. The man in the city water department told bubby that they turned off the water in Mrs. Gerber's house because she did not pay her city taxes that year. 
Now you did the art. I did. Yeah. I drew it first and then I took it onto the computer and made it look all professional. Mm. It was a very your words, I know, but the fact that she saw a way to make it come together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wouldn't know how. She knew how. This is good. If everyone knew how to do what I could do, I wouldn't make any money. Okay. So it's good that, you know, I have a special skill that can help people. (laughs) We were a good team. Mrs. Gerber did not read or write, so she did not understand all the letters that the city had been sending to her for so many years. Bubby did not want Mrs. Gerber to be sad because she did not have the money to pay the taxes anyways. So she didn't tell Mrs. Gerber mm-hmm. about any of this. So I did a... Now, did you do the art? I did. Of the eyes? I did. Okay. It was very dramatic, but I wanted to capture the emotions in the story. Beautiful. So Bubby hurried back over the big hill and put on her coat and hat and took the streetcar to the downtown business street. Bubby had lots of friends who owned stores in the downtown, and she always went into the stores to visit with them. Everyone was always happy to see the Bubby that could. That's true. Yeah. I think it just goes to show that, like, people who are kind make the biggest difference. You know, it's the small little things that people remember. And that very day, the Bubby That Could collected $271 from her business friends, and that was enough to pay the city tax bill and to buy a load of coal for Mrs. Gerber. By noon that day, Mrs. Gerber's water was running again, and Mrs. Gerber's rickety old house was nice and warm, so everyone was glad that the Bubby That Could did what everyone should. And now she has a new piece to add to her story, which is her quilt. Just another act of kindness. That made a difference in the long run. And we actually, what was really special about this book, because this is a true story, was we scanned the actual receipt from the city and we put it in here, which I thought was really special Mm because a lot of children's books are not based on real stories, but this was a very, very special one. And then, yeah, it was a beautiful adventure and it's based on a true story. That was your idea. Mm-hmm. You created a book, a story in the book, mm-hmm. and you made a lot of people happy. Yeah. You know, I think back to now, my mother just had her um, birthday, and so many people sent birthday wishes to her, and they were based on all the kindness and reaching out that my mother has done for a hundred years and mom you learned how to do that from bubby that's right you mm-hmm. saw her doing it and and it's not in the story but my mother grandmother couldn't read or write either really and she she used to help help in quotes my mother with her homework when she was in first grade mm-hmm. but she was learning to read by doing my mother's homework with her oh, so wow. she came illiterate you know she didn't have any literacy, so she didn't probably even be able to read that receipt either. Yeah, but she figured out a way to fix problems, right? Right. And you learned from the test. Okay. 
I thought I had the best. That's what happened. You did. You did. There's a beautiful Hebrew quote, which is Olam Chasadi Bana, which means that the world is built on kindness. And I think a lot of people are very focused on money and making the most impact on maybe technology or business, but it's those little small things that you do for other people every day that really end up making the difference, you know? And uh, one thing I, many things I love about you, but one of the things that I love about you is that you do those small acts of kindness. And to you, it's like you had your, your mother taught you how to do those. And so it's natural to you. And you're just like, well, of course I would do those kind things, but they really, they change a lot of people's lives. Well, I'm actually amazed that what you're saying is reality. And I don't know what brought you into my life, but you made a difference. Oh, I feel the same way. Can I tell one story? Yes. Um, so when I was in high school, we lived in Knoxville, and my mother used to bring people home from shul, you know, on Saturday. Come come over for lunch. Come over for lunch. And so there was this young man who was a student at the university, Isaac. Oh, Isaac. Sure. And she brought him for lunch. He was an immigrant from Iran. Yes. And he said that he was bringing his cousin to Knoxville, who was younger, a high school student, because they were trying to get out of Iran. And that was before they knew that things were going to start going down in Iran with the Shah. And so my parents talked about it and they said, well, what is this 16-year-old boy going to do living on a college campus? How is this his cousin going to take care of him? So they talked about it and they said, he should come live at our house. And he can go to school with Becky, <laughs> go to high school. And so they took Hamid is his name. And um, he now lives in Los Angeles. Anyway, he lived with us for a year, did his senior year of high school with us. Yeah. And it was an unofficial, just do it, you know. And he still calls my mother. Oh. He's still in touch with her. He still wants her to find him a wife. <laughs> I remember we were and, we were um, trying to match him up when I was in high yeah. school. We were thinking about all the single ladies that we know. <laughs> but it's like, and I thought my parents were crazy. Why yeah. are you opening your, our house up to this person we don't know? But that mm -hmm. was just what they decided to do. Yeah, I remember that story. I always, I always thought that was really amazing. And there's did you know him? Not personally. I mean, but you told me the story yeah. about him, and I thought, wow, that's really special. And I just, I hadn't even known about, you know, the Jews in Iran who had to escape. Mm -hmm. And that was, I always learned so much, you know. Well, and all these years he's been into, we've been in touch. He came to St. Louis to see you. It was great. Well, everything you've done that's touched me and my life has lasted. Oh, thank you. It wasn't just a one-time intervention. It has been important to me as I reach a hundred that I've learned from you what you taught me. Yeah. And Shabbos was really a special time for me because until COVID, 
I used to go to your house almost every Shabbos afternoon. And it was really special because I just got to spend so much time with you. And, you know, sometimes we learned new stories. And sometimes we said the same stories because they are wonderful. And sometimes we just didn't talk at all. We just ate mandel bread and <laughs> used to make your little cocktails for me. We used to mix uh, Sprite and uh, apple juice. It was really fun. Well, come around. I'm right around the corner. I, I didn't realize you live so close by me. So I'm really happy that we got the opportunity to reconnect and do this. How did this happen, the reconnect Well, you and me? It was really special because there was a movie that just came out about what happened in the secret city in Oak Ridge and with the atomic bomb. It was called Oppenheimer. And when the movie came out, it reminded me of you because I remember how you had lived in Oak Ridge and we had so many stories about like World War II that we had talked about. And that was a Saturday night. The very next day, it was Sunday, I got a call from one of your nurses who said that you had just read my book and you had been thinking about me. And we had lost touch with each other. I didn't really know how to get into contact with you. And it was a miracle. You you called me just when I was thinking about you. So a heart knows a heart. And um, I got the idea to do this special video with you. And I got your daughter's number from your nurse. And here we are. Well, she tags on to everything yeah. about me. It's been really special for me because throughout the years, I've not only gotten to know you, but a lot of the family members who you told me so many stories about, your son who lives in Israel, different grandchildren over the years, because I came over so often, I got to be introduced to your family. So they weren't just stories. They were people, you know, it came to life. Well, I really cannot tell you that. No matter how old I am, in reality, mm -hmm. over 100, you're one of the figures in that number of years. Thank you. You know, something really beautiful that you do that's so sweet. You have a lot of grandchildren all over the world who you don't necessarily see all the time. And you do something very sweet for them whenever it's their birthday. You will send them a card and you'll put in a little balloon that hasn't been blown up yet. And I remember you did that for me for one of my birthdays. <laughs> and I thought it was so sweet that ever since then, for all my friends, even if they live in the same city as me, I'll tape a little balloon in the birthday card. Really? Because I thought, what a special thing to do for someone. Like that's a lovely. You learned the hard way because she used to send chocolate, ah, uh, and she realized that that didn't travel very well <laughs> in the mail. Yeah, so balloons were were the next the next best option. Yeah, so so you know she's a great great grandmother now. Oh wow! Now. Congratulations! Yes, yes. That very special. Last year, she yeah, a great great. I can't even say it. Yeah, I know you always had a lot of artwork from your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They would send you different things. I have Becky quoted. Whenever I have to go in 
to the hospital for treatment of any kind, mm-hmm. I hear your daughter, Becky, wanted you to do X, Y, Z. They always use her as a reference. Mm-hmm. Your daughter, Becky. Yeah, she's a really strong force so in she, your life. She travels <laughs> with me. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes my mother gets very determined to do things a certain way, and so I use my leverage. But I remember when Daddy was not, my father got very sick in Israel on one of their visits, and he he ended up passing away there. But one thing he said to my mother was, listen to your children. So I pull that card out every once in a while. Yes. <laughs> You know, you always told me that when you were trying to decide where you were going to live, you um, later on in life, you decided to live in St. Louis because Becky was your youngest and you were given advice by one of your friends that you want to be around the youngest child to have like the youngest kids so that you can be a part of their life because when the grandchildren get older, they live their own life. So I always thought that was really special. Also, I'm the youngest, so I tell my mom that all the time. I'm like, you want to be by me? <laughs> I'll be the one to take care of well, you. Who in your family joined you? So I live with my parents, Adina and Shmuel Henderson. Okay. And we live on Gannon, but we live on the other side of Gannon. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Gannon is a long street. Well, this is something that will... Impress me for the rest of my days. Thank you. You're taking time to come with your friend, and I hope he's not bored with all the working. You're what? He, working. Yeah, he 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 does work at the same time. Oh, he's working on his equipment. Yeah. All right. Sure, he's run properly. He never takes a break. All right. He's always welcome anytime. Yeah, thank you so much. I don't need makeup. I don't need anything. When you're a hundred, you just go as you are. You look beautiful. You're the most beautiful hundred-year-old I've ever seen. Well, you don't see enough. (laughs) Make a comparison. Hundred-year-old. I have to ask before we end our uh, little show, is there a something that you like a life lesson or a quote that you would like to share? Some some wise words that you would like to share. Follow your heart. Mm. It's the best measure of the direction you're going to end up in. And I've been very fortunate in that my children hang around. Becky's the youngest. Anyway, come again. You don't have to be a documentation of our visit. (laughs) Just show up. A hundred percent. This is just a special visit with the documentation. But after this, it will just be you and me, no cameras. All right. Well. You come up with the questions, and I'll see if I can come up with some answers. Okay. Thank you so much for having us. This was very special. And, yeah, it was great. Well, thank you for taking time to come to this hospital that I'm in. But uh, I'm grateful. You make it important to me to open the door for your visit.
Okay. And this young man, whatever he's here to do, come back anytime. Thank you. So as you can see, that was just so special. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity and a big shout out to her daughter, Becky, for letting us come into the nursing home and to get a chance to talk with her. And, you know, even though she's, you know, a hundred, she still has so much life and so much sweetness in her and just her wise words of like, follow your heart, always be true to your heart. I know that really resonated with me. And I wanted to take some time since it was a shorter episode to just do a little recap, a little afterthought and share a few more memories that we didn't get a chance to discuss. And also, since Murph was there, my videographer, I wanted to have him come on and we'll just have a little bit of a dialogue to discuss our experience and to have someone to share my memories with. Happy to share memories with you. Thank you. From, from this side of the camera for once. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Murph is always there on the other side of the camera, and I'm always talking to him, and somehow he magically edits it out, so I don't look like I'm crazy. But yeah, now you're finally here in front of the camera, and let's just dive into it. Absolutely. So one of the memories that I had shared in our interview was the one where she talked about how she met her husband. Mm -hmm. What was so great was another memory that she had shared with me back when I visited her was that she really she went to school for accounting. Mm -hmm. Which is so funny because I think so many of us put so much pressure on what our career is going to be. It's so much of our identity. Mm -hmm. And I had been visiting her for three years before I found out what she did for a living. Mm. And at that point in her life, who she was, it didn't matter that she was an accountant. It was who she was as a person. It was the small acts of kindness. It was the family that she had raised, you know? Yeah. I think that really humbled me to realize where it's like, yeah, you have to get a career, but... I think also when you look back at what her day and age mindset on career was, is that career really did define what you did. Mm -hmm. And I feel like being a bookkeeper or a numbers cruncher is kind of like the slang of what they called it. It was such a sought after thing because it was one of these roles that was seen as really prominent and really kind of solidarity in its own thing. Like I run the books for people. I am a numbers person. Whereas what you and I do, they didn't have graphic design back then. Yeah. They didn't have content creators the way that I do. I'm sure that they were able to do some kind of film video, but it was just like even just certain aspects that came later with one of the little productions you made for her, it, little, it made a little bit of sense in context afterwards. And yeah. it's so cool. My grandma, when who's from about the same generation, she never worked. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. kind of crazy to hear about like, hey- some grandmas actually had jobs and careers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So not only that, this is what's so cool about this memory. So we'll mm -hmm. show right here a picture of her on her wedding day. It was in 1946, which was actually the year my dad was born, which mm -hmm. is cool. But she said she'd been dating her husband. They also were a little bit long distance at a certain point because she was down in um, Knoxville, Tennessee, and he was up in Ohio. I believe it was Cleveland. And he... Uh, they had been writing and she, he wanted to get married, obviously. And she was like, no, I can't be married and be in college. So you're going to have to wait until I have my degree. Mm -hmm. She also was so busy with school because she was so intelligent that she didn't plan her wedding at all, even her dress. Like I think it was like her friends and her sister who like got it all together for her. And if you look at the picture, like she looks 
like all the women did back then, like just so glamorous and so like effortlessly elegant. Mm -hmm. And she told me she graduated from college on a Sunday at 11 a.m. And then she got married that same day at 3 p.m. <laughs> I always remember that story. And it's funny because they've been like, my grandparents always said too, they were like, don't get married until you have your college degree. I never get married. Because <laughs> you don't have a college degree. I'm three classes away, but I ain't paying for it. That's all I got to say, Missouri State. All right, all right. But I just, I don't know. She's so special to me. And um, her Southern accent is just adorable. Mm -hmm. So adorable. So she just celebrated her 100th birthday. But when I first started visiting her, she was 89. And I remember when she had her 90th birthday, she was, I asked her, I was like, wow, you know, 90 is such an incredible like milestone to reach. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is that like to be 90? She was like, well, Nahama, it's just a day over 89. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like well said. She she never seemed to really care about the fact that she had like gotten older and reached that age. There's something I've noticed amongst the more elderly community and the senior community. And I don't think it's necessarily the community in a contemporary term, but I do think it is an age group thing. And I think part of it is, is that the older that you get, you have so many experiences mm -hmm. and those experiences shape you. But with the kind of like the stress and anxiety we deal with <clears throat> always being pulled like a million directions for them, I think at this age, I don't know when the age is that they come to this conclusion. I think simplifying things, even simplifying your memories and just breaking them down to a little theme yeah. becomes very prevalent. Like she said, it's just like you're only as old as you feel. Age is just a number. When you had this conversation with her, she may have been 90. And even earlier in our conversation while we were there, she goes, 90 was my favorite birthday. Yeah. For any one reason, she can't tell, but it's what made her happy. And there's something that's antiquated with it. That brings her some happiness and joy and allows her to pass on a piece of just like knowledge or wisdom. It's so simple. It's so basic. It's it's almost like prose on like a yeah. card. Like I could take what she said today. I could write it in a card and someone would probably get a lot of value out of it. Oh, for sure. And that's the value of reaching those milestones of like 90 or 100. It's those simple things where it's like we get so caught up on the wrong details and they really know what's important in life because they've lived long enough to be like, listen – We've been through world wars. We've been through depressions. You know, like we've been through all these different stages. We could tell you what's truly important or not. Um, but just cute little memories too that like are just like flashing through my mind right now where when we used to go visit her on Shabbos, she was – even though like we're here to visit her, you know, like we were like, oh, like should she be getting up and getting us snacks? Like maybe we should be serving her. She was very independent. She always wanted to like be the hostess with the mostess. So she had a little walker mm -hmm. and she we would say, do you want help like bringing the little snacks and drinks? And she said, no, I have my butler. She called it her butler. And she would like on her little like bench, she would like arrange the snacks and she would arrange like the drinks and bring it out to us. And we would just spend hours there. Like I just lost track of time when mm -hmm. I would visit her, you know? Anyone in my family or in my immediate like circle of people – Typically, anyone who's older than you, they mm -hmm. want to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very sweet to the point where it's heartbreaking because on the one end, the intent is just so kind and it's so genuine. No one, no one in your life is going to want to take care of you, maybe besides your mother, but more than like your grandparents. Mm -hmm. What's the the heartbreaking part is that 
at this point, once you're of the age of reason, you're like, no, it's my time to start taking care of you. Mm -hmm. But it's the last thing they want because they want to be independent and they mm -hmm. want to be useful. My dad to this day, he won't clean a thing for my mom. But the minute she starts doing anything, I can do that for you. And my pops is 85. And my mom is, don't tell no one. Uh, she just turned 62 this year. And, you know, the 23-year difference isn't what matters, but it's the minute he sees her do something, oh, I got that for you. Yeah. It's it's a very sweet act of service, but my mom will still get a little bit mad because he, he did it when she started to do it. It's like, no, I've got it now. Yeah. It's just that old married couple, like, bickering back and forth. Yeah. yeah it's sweet. so sweet. Mm -hmm. I... Ugh, there's just so many things that I love about her. And it's just like memories are so interesting because they randomly will just pop into your brain, you mm -hmm. know? Another one that was really sweet was she had this friend who uh, passed away recently and her name was Betty Dorb. And so these two little 90-year-old women who are from the South. And so when they got together, their accents just got that much stronger. And I, I love love stories. You guys know, like every almost every guest that I have on, I always ask them, like, how'd you guys meet? What's your story? Because everyone's story is different. Mm -hmm. And I just I love it. I'm a connoisseur, I love stories. So I would ask Betty Dorb, I was like, Well, how did you meet her your husband? And she said, Well, Nahama, I met him and I liked him. So I married him. It's like, oh, okay. It's that simple. Yeah, anyone tries that now, you're thirsty. <laughs> and then Safta Kramer, she just slapped her like so hard. Like only another 90-year-old could slap another 90-year-old. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she slapped her with this force. And she was like, no, they're young. They want romance. Give them romance, which I thought was so sweet because it's true, you know? But it, it, again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about how like just that simplification of every area of our lives that we tend to complicate where from their perspective, they're like, Oh, you meet someone and you like them and you get married. Uh, veering off a little bit, she would always ask about my family and my grandparents, which is so sweet. Mm -hmm. um, my grandfather was a psychologist and he and my grandma, my grandmother was a social worker. So they had a lot of psychology books. And so one of the books they had was Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And growing up, I went to an all-girls high school, so I had like no experience with guys. So I knew I wanted to get married one day. So I was reading this book. And my grandfather comes in. He's like, what the hell are you reading? <laughs> and I was like, I'm trying to learn about guys. I'm going to be married to one one day. I want to try to understand how they're different since our minds oh, are you different. Are. No grandmother of mine's ever going to get married. <laughs> and he said to me, well, he was very strict that I should never get married till I was done with college. Um, but he also said, he's like, you don't need that shit. He said, here's what you need to get married. Be a mensch. Marry a mensch. For those of you who don't know what a mensch is. It's like a person of high quality in the Hebrew faith. Just a good person. Just yeah. be a good person and marry a good person. Again, I, just simplifying this like complicated topic. You know? I, rem I remember the Family Guy episode, the original one that I think got him kicked off the air. It was when you wish upon a Weinstein and Peter <laughs> lives under the belief that if he converts his son to judaism his son will become very like will become very successful it's a stereotype mr griffin i still don't understand why exactly does your son want to join the jewish faith i don't know he's, he's bi-curious i appreciate your interest but judaism takes a serious commitment elliot here has spent years preparing for his bar mitzvah this saturday a bar mitzvah perfect how much for one of those? You can't just buy a bar mitzvah. It requires a lot of study. Can we skip that part? 
I mean, come on. If Chris knew how to study, he wouldn't need to become Jewish in the first place, right? 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 But the guy who he recruits to help to essentially say to his son, hey, you're not going to be Catholic anymore. He goes, it's not about if he's Jewish or Catholic. It's about what he learns in the home. And I have an idea that he'll grow up to be a real mensch. So that's where I got that from. That was sweet. I try. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sweet. Come on. That was a sweet moment. Yeah. Um. She was just so great. One thing I will say about like the the marriage thing, it's better than what they said on the Proud Family, the original era of the Proud Family. Oscar tells Penny, and he goes, "What did I tell you about dating?" She goes, "What?" He goes, "No dating until after you're married." <laughs> I, even as a kid, I'm like, "How'd you pull that one out?" Come on, arrange marriage. The father picks out the husband and says, "This is the one who's good for you." So you Ben, Sh- that's what Ben Shapiro's advice was. He goes, "You're in trouble dating. Get fixed up." That's what everybody does in my culture. Ben Shapiro also met his wife, and within three months, they were married. That's common. I believe it. I would rather have that these days, I think. I don't want to get to know you for two years and decide you're the person. I want to know you're the person then and there. So basically, my brother did that. So my brother, he is still to this day very ultra-Orthodox, very religious. He never talked to a girl Mm -hmm. at all, like even friends, anything, until – He was 24 and he decided he was ready to get married. Mm -hmm. He went to his rabbi and he said, okay, I'm ready to get married. And in our culture, if you date according to the Orthodox dating, it's called shidduchim or shidduch dating. And shidduch literally means a match. And so you have resumes. Mm. So your resume, will there'll be a photo of you. There will be your name. There'll be your brothers, sisters, what they do for a living, who their in-laws are. You have references where you've gone to school and then a little write-up about you and what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like the dating sites before dating sites. It's like Jewish Tinder. Kind of, but for higher purposes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then my brother, because boys, they just have it easier with dating. He got like a pile of resumes like this high huh. of like girls to just See, go through yep. and they're like my brother's a top-notch guy he's handsome he's tall like why wouldn't he get the top girl and so he married a wonderful woman and she was his first and only girl that he ever dated and they dated for about six weeks mm-hmm. got engaged and got married i think like eight weeks later mm-hmm. and they've been married now for 13 years Four kids later. You never know what it's going to mean to find the one, but whether it's arranged or whether you run into them or, you know, in in any way, I think, I think the thing, if we could tie it back into where we just were, I think the thing that is so important about the generation that she was dating in versus what we're dating in is that the comparison game was not what it is now. Mm. They didn't have social media as a means of being a voyeur into everyone else's lives, getting a little nosy with everyone else's business. Mm -hmm. And of course, on social media these days, you can pretend to be anyone. And then you meet the person in public and it's like, you're not the same person. However, back in those days, you kind of had to pass the BS test very quickly. You had to assess someone's character and things were just a little more simple than it was just a lot more of a commitment to saying, hey, I think we're good together. Let's continue to build something. These days, it's, well, we're going to do all the things that people in a relationship do, and we're going to see each other at that frequency. But if you try to label it or tell me that I have feelings for you, there's something wrong with you. And I think that's a huge problem in society today. And I think that's why now more than ever, 
getting back to simple relationships. And I think that was a big inspiration for me to say this, getting back to simple relationships with people you can truly build with should not be this complicated social order thing. It should really be, we have chemistry, let's get to trust each other, and then let's be loyal to each other, make a lot of memories. I think they were able to do that in a way that was so much more pure and wholesome without posting everything on the internet. Yeah. And I think there was more longevity too, where it was like, I think nowadays a lot of people, honestly, it's not just relationships, like romantic relationships. This could be friendships. This can be work mm -hmm. where it's like when things start not to go the way you want them to go or it gets a little bit hard, people are like, well, this must be a sign. It's not for me. But that's not truly the case in in terms of the fact where like even it's a romantic relationship, I've, re I've been watching – Honestly, because I think they're endearing, but also kind of to prep for this episode, I've been watching a lot of interviews that people have been having with people who have been married for a long time or with 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds and even 100-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And they always say the same thing. It's like when you're married for that long, you're not in love the entire time. No. There's sometimes when one person's in love and one person's really not, and so one person kind of is carrying it. And you're constantly falling out of love and into love with each other again, but it's just more of like never giving up. Yeah. Sal, Sal Frisella, who I think is the quintessential like dad and like 60s dad. He kind of like get the leave it to be revive. He really has that. One of the biggest pieces of advice is that he gave me, and he's an old fashioned guy, you know, mm -hmm. move the family out to the farm, single cab Saturday with his wife, still has a Ferrari and all that, but like old fashioned values. He says, date your wife. Don't stop dating your mm -hmm. wife. Don't stop dating your significant other. Yeah. I, am a huge proponent of that because I personally have stayed away from a lot of relationships for that fear of it getting old and for mm -hmm. that fear of losing ourselves to it. And like you, you forget why you committed yourself to someone and for our generation versus their generation, they didn't just get to replace things like we do. No. You get a warranty on your computer or on your phone or any piece of hardware in your house it breaks, you can turn it in. With, with a relationship, it is very much what you said these days, which is, I can think of my last relationship, for example. And this isn't throwing shade, it's just the truth. When things were good and we were in that honeymoon phase, you know, the first stretch of the relationship, well, we didn't have a problem making arrangements to go across the country to see each other. It was an adventure. Then when it became work, you have to start weighing the pros and cons and I think we do that a little bit too prematurely to where we get any sense of cons. All right, I'm out. And I don't think they really had that that entitlement back in their day, any of their days. Yeah, well, it's, it's mentality. Mentality is magic, actually, mm -hmm. because the way you view things totally changes the situation. Mm -hmm. Let's say even like religion. Religion could be something that is beautiful and meaningful and gives you like a structure for how to live your life. Or it could feel like you are being smothered and you can't breathe if it all depends on your mindset and the meaning behind it. And I'm so glad you brought up those that story that you just shared because that's actually something that Safta Kramer shared with me. Uh, my first job out of college, you know, in the beginning, there was the honeymoon phase with the job where I was so excited. I was like, my first big job was so great. And then eventually it became work, mm -hmm. you know, the daily grind. And I was complaining to her. It was hard. I was bored, whatever. And she was like, Every every lesson that she ever says to me I always started off with, well, Nahama. Well. <laughs> she was like, well, Nahama, that's why they call it work. If it was supposed to be fun, they'd call it fun. <laughs> it's 
It's so true. I'm like, okay, that's true. You're right. Their generation too, not even were they not as entitled as we were because there wasn't the expedience that we have now, but they just really did have to work for everything that they did. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the generations of stories where they walked uphill both ways in the snow, it starts with that. And it wasn't that they wanted to demean you or condescend to you, but it was the perspective that they had that you made things happen in their day. It wasn't just a matter of, well, I didn't like it, so I I just got my way when I got my way. It was, no, I didn't like how things were, but I didn't have a choice. Yeah, I had to make a result come to fruition. And oftentimes I had to sacrifice my time, my resources, my energy, my body to do it because even teaching back in those days, it's probably an entire different bag than it is now. Oh, for sure. I mean, my mother who's a teacher can tell you even in the past 20 years, she's seen like a transition in terms of the fact that back in the day, teachers were given a certain authority to you know, how they ran the classroom. And there was a respect that both the principals, the administration, and the parents had towards the teachers that where they're like, we trust that you're doing the job and this is a very important role that you have. Mm -hmm. And if a child were to get into trouble and the teacher would call the parents or call in the principal or the administration, then that child was in for it. You know what I mean? Like they should be more afraid of Go, their parents being called and going to the principal's office. But nowadays, like teachers are walking on eggshells mm-hmm. because parents are like, well, what do you mean you talk to my child that way? And it's a very scary thing to think about what the next generation is going to look like with how things have shifted. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and that's even more in a traditional school that like my mom teaches that I can't even imagine what public schools are like at this point. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And this is also why I think when you look at her at Kramer, mm-hmm. Kramer, who we were just visiting. There are signs of her faith all over her her room. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think has become so prominent in our day and age is that the idea of religion being in the household and also being in a public space, even just spirituality, mm-hmm. it has become something that is almost pariahed. It is that we don't think it's polite to talk about those things in public discourse. But when you look at the people, like look at your parents, for example, look at your grandparents, they cling to their faith very, very hard because those are the core values. Those are the doctrines that help them find discipline in their lives. And that discipline is very much a freedom for them. In these days, especially with kids and especially with the professional parents out there, Mm -hmm. the professional parents who want to stop their kids from feeling any pain, any hardship, what you see is folks that as they get older in life, they're less well-adjusted. They're less uh, adverse to hardship. They don't mm-hmm. have the quote-unquote balls that those other generations did yeah. because they aren't taught to believe in anything. These kids are taught to believe that how you feel, everyone else should cater to. Well, if we live in a wor- world where everyone's feelings get catered to and everyone's always catering to someone else, capitulating to someone yeah. else, do you really think that you're going to get to be that age where you're 85, 90, 100 and you look back on your life and you feel good about it? Or are you going to be someone who just tells a lot of awful stories? Because for Grandma Kramer, when we listen to her stories, they're almost all positive. Mm-hmm. And over 100 years- She's made such an impact on so many people's lives. 
She didn't do that. She's so humble, though. You don't do that by being overtly arrogant or entitled. She's so humble. You have to be a giver and to be a teacher. You're going to have to give the best of you so that next generation has an educator to look up to for your kids. You're going to, if you're a woman, you give up your body for nine months and then you spend the next 18 years minimum giving to someone for to be a part of a community. It can't just be give to me. It is, I will give to you without any expectation of receiving. And that lack of expectation is the thing that keeps it wholesome and gives you something to believe in because right. it's bigger than you. We, our generation doesn't have that the way that hers did. No. And it was so natural in their generation as well. Whereas nowadays, I think there is a there is a movement of people who are trying to rekindle that, mm-hmm. but where it's an effort because it's a lost cause. Uh, you might have to help me with this quote, but what do they say? It's um, strong men or hard times create strong men. Strong men create good, good times. times. Good times create, create weak, weak men. men. Weak men create hard, hard times. times. A circle. Of yeah. So we we are at the generation where good times created weak, weak men. men, and so now we're having to come back into the time where I think we're hopefully moving into the generation mm-hmm. where we're going to just have to work harder, but we'll create a better future. And so I think that's why it's so important to have interviews like this with her mm-hmm. to remember what we're fighting for, to remember that it existed once. And if it existed once, it can yeah. exist again. It's not a lost cause. People think history is flat line moving forward, but it's a spiral. It's circles. If it happened yeah. once, it could happen again for good and for bad. Mm-hmm. And so I think we should be like a pull for the good. Yes. And I think that's just like my my message from this episode that I want to share with people. Mm-hmm. And what's so amazing to me is just like, a shout out to you, Softer Kramer, because you know you you said that I was such an influence in your life, and you said that I was such a you know a big part of it in the years that we knew each other. And it's so interesting for me to hear that because there are so many girls who I've known who throughout the years have gone to visit you, who still visit you. I was just one of many, mm-hmm. and sh- she was so special to me. You know, she was like my Softer Kramer, and at the time. I actually, what's so crazy about life is I actually wasn't planning on doing this program. We, in in our high school, we were supposed to do community outreach. There's a lot of different types of programs to do. Mm-hmm. I had grandparents here and I used to visit my own grandmother every weekend, at least. And so I was like, well, I don't need an adopted grandmother. I already have like a biological grandmother. But I remember at the time I was super shy and there was a girl, Shira Kark, who is now Shira Barusan. And I really wanted to you know, be friends with her, but I was super shy and I didn't quite know how to ask her to hang out because I was too shy. And so when we were, when one of the committee heads was asking who can volunteer and go to visit Dr. Kramer, I remember Shira raised her hand and she was like, I'll go. And I was like, this is my in, I'll go too. And like, so not only did I gain this really special relationship with Safta Kramer, but I also gained a best friend. And what's so beautiful is this friendship is something that was based on acts of kindness, which I think is so appropriate because it's exactly who Safta Kramer is. So it's just this one beautiful web of things together. In closing, at least on my part, the piece of wisdom she left us with, I think was very pertinent Mm -hmm. because she told us, you asked the question and it was, hey, follow your dreams. 
I think when someone from her generation tells us that, it means something entirely different than when someone from ours does, because she lives in a world where people following her dreams created the internet, created all the architecture we have these days, changed the way we speak and interact with each other, for better or for worse. I think she expects really great things, not only out of the both of us, but specifically out of you. And for the fact that you were able to take the dream that you followed that I get to help produce for you and you got to put her on it, I think that's going to be one of the memories that sticks with her more than we'll probably give it credit for. Aww, thank you. Thank you for this. Appreciate you. Happy to be here on this side of the camera. On the side of the camera. This episode's going to be a little bit more unique, but we think it has a lot of value. And thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. I hope you have a great week. Let's get it. Let's go. <laughs>